chapter 14. I have truly been enjoying our study in the book of Romans, and um, I hope you have too and that you'll be back tonight as we look into it more detail in our, in our small groups. Imagine, if you would, um, a military that was divided against itself. Now, um, those that have been in the military, um, and rightfully so, tend to think that their branch is the best. I mean, if you're, if you're in the Marines, you think that's the best, and the Navy reminds the Marines that they're a subdivision of the Navy. Isn't that right? And, and the Army has their reasons, and, but, and they may usually in friendly terms banter back and forth, but when it comes to a military endeavor, it's all hands, and I was going to say all hands on deck, and the Navy would say, see, right there, that proves, right, Dan? Okay, so um, at any rate, but imagine even a branch of our military that, that this happened, that a guy sitting there with his favorite gun, and he looks at his buddy and he says, you still have that? And he says, yeah, this thing, man, it's been faithful to me all these years. And this guy says, this one is so much better. I mean, it can do this and this and this. And, and they look over and here's another guy and he's got his weapon and he's got a bayonet on it. And these two say, look at that nut job over there. You think we're going to get in a bayonet battle? And this guy says, the guy with the bayonet says, you better be prepared for all things because there have been battles hand to hand and you're going to wish you had that. Now, they may banter back and forth like that, but if they start saying, I'm not going to have anything to do with you guys because you don't have a bayonet on your gun. And I'm starting the bayonet brigade. And this guy says, well, I'm only going to associate with the people that have the same type of gun I have. And this guy says, I have the latest military weapon, and those guys are out of date, and, and I'm done with them as well. And I'm going to start my own platoon or my own division that this is all we use. And we'd say that'd be ludicrous, but we could carry it even further. So the guy in the bayonet brigade looks down at some guy and says, what kind of boots are you wearing? No, 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 those aren't the kind of boots you need to be wearing when you're in the, the bayonet brigade. So it divides even further. There's the the leather boots and there's the... Nylon boots, okay? I'm just making this stuff up, as you can tell, okay? Uneducatedly. And, and they start their own bayonet, leather, 
steel-toe boots, and the other says, no, we've got these new boots, we still have the bayonet, and you could divide it up even more. And each group would say, look at that stupid group over there. They don't do this and they don't do that. We're so much smarter than the others are. The bottom line is, when you're in a battle, you don't quibble about the little things. And really, in Romans chapter 14, that's exactly what Paul's addressing. But let me just lay down some principles that that we've already that Paul has laid down and remind us of these principles that Paul has laid down in Romans because they are foundational to understanding what he's saying here in Romans chapter 14. First principle we want to mention is believers are fully justified in Jesus Christ. That means in Christ alone, we are completely forgiven and justified and we have need of nothing else. Romans 8.1 There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So there is complete justification... In Christ. The second principle. All believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. In Romans chapter 8, he's talking about the the Spirit-filled life. It's by the Spirit that we have life. And through the Spirit, we mortify the deeds of the flesh. And he says, if any man has not the Spirit of God dwelling within him... He does not belong to God. So, as believers, we are justified, completely justified. And and we went over the difference between justification and sanctification and so on. And as believers, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Thirdly, The Holy Spirit is working in every believer to make us like Christ. That's the sanctification process. He he is dwelling in every believer and he's he's doing the same work in every believer. He's he's trying to make us like Christ. He's, He's bringing... Joys and sorrows and verses and convictions and other people. And he's doing all that. And the goal is, you know, we often say, I'd like to know what God's doing. Well, start with this. He's trying to make you like Christ. And and if you just look at what's going on in your life, you can see areas that he's trying to do that. And so we know that. We know that the Holy Spirit is working in every believer to make us like Christ. That's the sanctification process. Fourthly, all believers, both weak and strong, in the terminology used here in chapter 14, are to have one aim, and that is to live for the Lord. Romans chapter 12, and again, What we're going over are some of the truths that he's presented in Romans 1 through 11, the doctrinal teaching, the foundation. 
And we're just reminding us of that before we jump into chapter 14. But in chapter 12, he gives the practical outworking of it. And he says, now, because we are justified, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, because the Holy Spirit is at work to make us like Christ, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, and and a couple weeks ago when we looked at it, it's not about us. We're here living for God. We're living, that's our purpose and, and we need to be reminded of that over and over again because it's so easy to, to fall back into living for self. We, we continually are prone to do that. And, and Paul is addressing believers who want to please the Lord. And, and he mentions that in this, and we'll, we'll get to that. <clears throat> so all believers, weak or strong, are to have one aim, the same aim, that's to live for the Lord. And then one other principle before we get into some practical application of this is that we will all give an account of ourselves to God. He is our master. Every one of us will answer to God. And and this is this is very important in in the context of Romans chapter 14. So in Romans 14, Paul acknowledges that there will always be differences among believers that we must learn to accept and live with. And and he mentions two areas as examples. And, and the, the real heart of Romans 14 is not these two examples. They're examples of the truth that he's trying to portray. But he said, even with all the things that we've said, there are going to be differences among believers that we need to learn to live with and accept. And, he said, some of you, believe that meat that is offered to idols should have no place in a Christian's life. So at this time, people would take good meat, they'd take it to the idol worship, and they would offer it as a sacrifice, and they didn't use it all. So in the back alley, they would have discount meats, you know. And man, you could go get some ribeyes there. You could get T-bones, ground beef for way, way cheaper than you could get it at Hy-Vee or Fairway or Aldi's. I mean, this was the Goodwill store of meats. All right? And, and so frugal Christians were saying, I know that meat has nothing to do with my salvation. I'm a steward of God's money hey, I can feed my family cheaper. That doesn't have anything to do with me and my relationship with God. And they'd go buy that meat. And there were others that said, oh man, God told us to not eat anything that's been offered to idols. And and if you're doing that, I, I wonder about your salvation. We're, that's anathema. That is cursed. We shouldn't be doing that. 
Another issue that they had, some were very, very diligent in keeping uh, the Sabbath as, as was instructed in the Old Testament. And there were others in the church that said, hey, every day is the Lord's and we're, we're serving the Lord and, and I'm setting aside this day and you're setting aside that day. And, and so there was conflict over this as well. And there were differences of opinion. And, and so Paul's jumping in and he's dealing with this here. And, and he is instructing them. Now, when he mentions those that are weak in the faith, um, it, it doesn't mean that that they are inadequate in their trust of God. What it, what it means is they lack insight into some of the implications of their faith. Meaning, we are justified. There is no condemnation. So, this eating the meat offered to idols does not affect my salvation. But they were kind of thinking that it did. And, and they didn't have a full understanding of justification. And this is when he says they are weak in the face. So, so they're very, very careful about keep this, keep this, keep this law. And, they, and, and he's saying they don't understand fully justification. There are others that are strong. Doesn't mean they have more faith, but they, they have a, an understanding of justification. And they say, you know, what the, the keeping of the law is not what keeps me saved. I am a child of God. And, and I rest in that, and so it doesn't matter what I do. Well, that was causing conflict here. And, and at the root of all conflict is usually pride. Only by pride comes contention. And um, we as Christians are pretty good at baptizing our pride because we're defending the truth of God's Word. You know... We can defend the truth of God's Word over just about anything. And, and we can use it to, to defend our pride. But Paul really strikes at the heart of this when we allow our pride, which we believe we're right in, and of course we believe we're right in it, you know, um, seldom do we ever say, I believe I'm wrong in this, but I'm going to fight for it to the death. You know what I'm saying? We, we believe we're right. And, and as a result, we hunker down and build in our barracks, and we have our bayonet leather boot group together. You know what I'm saying? And everybody else, something's wrong with them. Or... Our pride says, look at them, fool. look at those fools. 
they're thinking that has, we know that, that we have liberty in Christ. And as we're cutting our ribeye steak and eating it and thinking, boy, too bad they're not as smart as we are. They could be enjoying this. You know what I'm saying? And it really presented some problem. So, he gives some practical exhortations. Now, today, I understand um, very few of, of us are getting into arguments about the meat we eat, okay? We may argue whether we like it medium rare or rare or well done. These two examples that he gives really aren't real pertinent to us. But there are a multitude of issues that these principles apply to. So the practical exhortations. We just want to go in. I'm going to list six practical exhortations from Romans 14. In verse 3, he says, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. First of all, don't despise one another. And the strong were, were tempted to despise others, to condescendingly look down upon, to, if, if they understood justification, they wouldn't be making such a big deal of this. And, and to despise others. He says no. And again, I bring us back. We're in, we're in a great warfare, and we're on the same team. And he says, this is not time for us to despise our brothers. And secondly, well, also look down in verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice that. Why do you show contempt? We are not to despise one another. And secondly, we are not to condemn one another. This, this aspect of condemning because, because they don't do it the way I think it should be done. They're not as spiritual. Or they're wrong. Or they may even be unsaved. So he says, it's not both ways. It's not condescending, looking down and despising them like they're foolish. And in the same sense, it's condescending in a way. But it's the despising. They're, they're leading us astray. They're false teachers. And we'll get to that in Romans chapter 16. Don't jump to conclusions that you're not supposed to address false teachers. But these are brothers that Paul says, you're, both your goals is to please the Lord. And you have different understandings here. He says, don't despise on one hand, and you on the other hand, don't you go condemning them. The weak were judging the strong which means they were condemning them as unspiritual. 
And, and so he, he gives the examples of this. And in, in verse 13, again, he, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So, the first two principles, don't despise one another and don't condemn one another. Because they're doing that, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. These are in, you know, if they teach you need Christ and baptism, that's a, that's a different story. That's a violation of the laws of God. But this is in, in the issues that it may not be completely clear or the differences in their development at the time. But he says, don't despise on the one hand and don't condemn on the other. And then notice if you'd look in verse 17. Verse 17, well, verse 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We are to live for the kingdom of God. And when we live, he said in verses 7, 6, 7, and 8, when we live, we are to live unto the Lord. No man lives to himself, meaning it's not about me anymore. I am to live for God. And so foremost in my mind is, I am to live for the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, and he's already told us how we get righteous, didn't he, in Romans. Therefore, if any man... Well, let's see, Romans 5, I drew a blank on it. Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy. And in the previous chapters, all of those are the fruit of what the Holy Spirit produces in our life. And we are to live for the kingdom of God. It's not for my beliefs. It's not for for my prerogative. It is I am to live. For the kingdom of God, and that is walking in the Spirit. He's, he's bringing them back to, to that aspect. So he says, in living for the kingdom of God, the fourth practical ex- exhortation that he gives them, we read in verse 15. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Notice if you look in verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. We are to pursue what makes for peace and builds up. That's what he said, walking in love. Love says, my liberty is no big deal. The big deal is that my brother grows in Christ. That's the big deal. 
It's not my liberty or my beliefs that are to bring you into subjection. It is, I am to walk in love. I am to pursue. That means to hunt after, to actively go after peace and for what builds up. It's interesting. You've heard me the last few years uh, hammering and and urging you to read the the twenty four love is things. Okay, that that are written here by Paul David Tripp, and I say read one a day. I I don't want to get discouraged, so I'm not going to ask how many of you are doing it. Okay, but. It will help you if you do. But look at this. Pursue what makes for peace and builds up. Number 19. Love is a commitment to say no to selfish instincts and to do everything that is within your ability to promote real unity, functional understanding, and active love in your relationships. Pursue that. Number 22. Love is being unwilling to make any personal decision or choice that would harm a relationship, hurt the other person, or weaken the bond of trust between you. That's what he says. If meat makes my brother to offend, I'll have no meat. I'll not eat meat. So he's saying, you may think to these people, you may think it's, it's okay to eat meat. But when you invite them over to your house, don't you fix them asparagus and a kale salad and you sit there eating a ribeye steak. You eat the kale and whatever with them and you can have the ribeye for supper, okay? When they're gone home. That's what love. Anything that would harm a relationship or weaken the bond of trust. Number 23 says... Love is refusing to be self-focused or demanding, but instead looking for specific ways to serve, support, and encourage even when you're busy or tired. See, this is what pursue what makes for peace and builds up. That's That's a sentence for love. Love one another. Pursue what makes for peace and builds up. Number five, in in verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Look also at verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats With offense, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Don't do anything that will destroy the work of God in an individual's life or in the body's life. Even if you feel you have the liberty to do that. So, what he's saying is, I am most concerned about the work of God. 
And it's the work of God that I do not want to hinder. And, and in realizing that, I will someday be giving an account to God for what I have done. And so I don't want to be guilty of hindering the work of God in someone else's life or in hindering the work of God in the church. And so I'm not going to drive my stake deep and say this, this point in question is, is foundational to me and I am not be moving, I'm not moving. It's not about me. It's about God and His kingdom. And, and the work of God has been destroyed over and over and over again by simple, foolish little things. Churches have split and works of God have been hindered and damaged over arguments from what color upholstery to get in the church pews to what kind of hymnals to have or whether to have hymnals or how you serve food at fellowships. Seriously. And it does damage to the work of God. And, and so you go to communities and, and learn the history of churches. Well, this church started because it split off this church. Well, what was the issue? Well, it happened so long ago we don't know. Sometimes it was over a doctrinal thing that there needed to be a split. I know churches that were started over a doctrinal issue. The church that was there was teaching that the blood of Jesus Christ did not provide forgiveness of sins. The blood didn't matter. That's something you divide over. But in many, many cases, there are, there are relationships that are severed over non-essential issues because we have made them tests of fellowship that were not tests of fellowship. And you know what? We have all these little groups in our military that are acting independently of each other and we're getting killed in the warfare because we are doing damage to the work of God. And, and it hinders the work of God and it provides a stumbling block and to realize it's not about me. It's bigger than this. There's a spiritual warfare. This is about God and His kingdom. So we need to examine our own personal matters in this area. Now, he closes in verse 23 by saying, Whatever is not of faith is sin. Now, what he's saying is, keep a clear conscience. If, if you believe that there's something you shouldn't do, then seek God in it. And if you have peace or if you are uneasy about doing something, then don't do it. He's saying, 
protect your conscience, and he's assuming it's a conscience that is saturated in the Word of God. So, we go back, and I want to try to tie together the principles that we started at at the very beginning, okay? So, um, Andrew, would you come up here? So, maybe I should have picked someone else, but I didn't want to cast someone else in a bad light, okay? Um, but separate, separate the fact that he's my son, all right? We're, we're just two believers. Now, remember, we're justified, okay? The Holy Spirit dwells within him. The same way it does me. The Holy Spirit is doing the same work in Him, making Him Christ-like. And He's doing the same work in me, making me Christ-like. But on my path, there may be a tendency to look at another believer and say, I don't get that. I don't get that. Do you see what they're doing? And I can condemn them or despise them. And in so doing, I have thrown out that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within them, that He is doing a work to bring them to Christ, and we're all going the same direction. I have stepped in the place of the Holy Spirit, and I have said, they are wrong. I don't agree with them. And in Sunday school, um, we'll get into more application about this. We really don't believe the Holy Spirit is at work. Well, He must be quenching the Holy Spirit. That's between Him and God. And we really don't believe that His Master is God. And He will answer to God And, whoa, if I believe that, that means my master's God and I'm going to answer to God. So I just better hoe in my own row. And who am I to despise in these, Paul is saying, non-essential issues and we're getting whipped up in the battle? We're losing. And, And he's saying... We don't want to do damage to the cause of Christ. So, honest, in everybody's life, you can see something that you scratch your head about. In my life, I see things that I scratch my head about. And if you're honest and look in the mirror, there's things in your life that you think, boy, I don't know why I'm doing this. But Satan loves to get us despising or condemning when when we ought to be coming together and locking arms and saying, let's go to battle. Well, no, you don't tie your shoes the way I tie my shoes. You've got Velcro shoes. I've got shoestrings. And honestly, some of the stuff that we do in Christianity is about that ridiculous. And we've lost sight of the battle. And this is what Paul, you may be seated, thank you. This is what Paul's dealing with. 
he's not getting caught up in, in all the specific little de- He's saying this is about God's kingdom and pursue peace and what builds up and whatever you do, don't destroy the work of God and don't spend your life rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Keep the main thing as the main thing. It's God's kingdom. And the main thing is that it it centers on God and our relationship with Him and our relationship with others. And, And the main thing is not the little details. Now, there are main things that are main things. But it's too easy for us. And Satan has got churches, individual local churches, divided against each other, and the history of it goes down. And, and he's gotten Christians across the board divided against each other. And, and what he is telling us in this is don't despise one another, don't condemn one another. They have a master. It's God. They'll answer them. You let their master take care of that. You can rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit is in them and He is working. So instead of doing that, live for the kingdom of God. Pursue peace and what edifies, what builds up. And don't you be guilty of destroying the work of God. Don't you be one that comes and chops the legs off of what God's doing in someone's life and make sure that you keep a clear conscience. Boy, Paul Paul really goes to the heart of it here, and we'll get in and see in chapters 15 and 16, he does say there are certain things you need to judge. Mark those that cause divisions among you, contrary to sound doctrine. But you know what? In most cases, Satan's getting his work done through God's people themselves. And... We are not to live for ourselves, but to live for Him. Heavenly Father, I pray that Your Spirit would make personal application of these truths in our lives. Lord, in every one of us, the application is going to be different. And I pray that we would not destroy the work of You in our own lives let alone in the lives of others. And Lord, I pray that we would truly believe what you tell us, that we are justified in you, that your Spirit dwells within us as believers, that your Spirit is at work, and we can rejoice in that and rest in that. And, and that as a result of that, we would keep in front of us, we're going to answer to you. Every one of us must give account of himself to God. So, Lord, may that be an encouragement to us to pursue peace and do that which builds up. May we learn genuine love that does just that. And, Lord... <clears throat> May we see the strengthening of your work through our minds and hearts and hands, through our beings. 
Lord, we desire to live for You. And You know our hearts are feeble and frail and we're easily distracted to make the minor things the major things. But Lord, may we keep the main thing the main thing. And may it be to live for You and Your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have